I pray that that would be the echo of our heart, God, knowing that you take what is ruined, what is broken, what is destroyed by sin, what has been corrupt and defiled, and you make it perfect through the sending of your Son. And that, God, that as you stand before us, God, you acknowledge that according to your word, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and that we acknowledge that and confess with our mouth that he rose again, that we would be saved. And God, I pray that we would understand that, that you take what is broken, what has been destroyed, and you rebuild it, and you bring life, and you breathe life into it. And so God, I pray today that we would understand that, that your word would speak to us, that your spirit would convict us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. For those of you who are maybe first-time guests or haven't been here in a while, we have been going through a sermon series called The Joy Ride. Uh, It's been a walk through the book of Philippians, uh, and really it has been uh, a joy, I hope, as you've been challenged by all of this, that you would uh, have grown, you have understood what's taking place. I want to let you know about a couple things coming up real quick, uh, starting, uh, or in a couple weeks, sorry, next week or in two weeks, we're going to have kickoff Sunday. For those of you who know uh, what kickoff Sunday is, it's the day your pastor wears his Broncos stuff and preaches from the pulpit. So, uh, (laughs) I know, everybody's booing, but kickoff Sunday, for those of you who don't know, is is a day we just kind of have some fun. We're going to use it to kick off our our fall ministry time, but we also uh, use it as a time just to wear your favorite team jersey. You can support your team in however way you want. If it's soccer, it's soccer. If it's the Chiefs, um, leave it at home. No, I'm just joking. If it's the Chiefs, you can wear it. (laughs) I will be preaching my Broncos stuff, I'm just going to tell you. So um, I I expect to see a sea of red and a bunch of booze, but (laughs) no. Anyways, that's kickoff Sunday, but As we're leading up to kickoff Sunday, I want to let you know uh, on kickoff Sunday, we're going to be starting uh, a new members class. If you are interested in becoming a member, going through the members class doesn't make you a member. At the end, you can say, hey, I want to become a member, and we'll walk through that process. But uh, it's a three-week process uh, of class. We explain to you what is going on uh, in the church, what we do, what we want to accomplish, our mission, our vision, and things like that. So starting September 10th, uh, if you're interested in that, you can sign up on the connection card. Let us know uh, as we do that. Starting next week, we're going to have sign-ups for life groups. Life groups will officially start uh, after September 10th, but we're going to have life group sign-ups starting next week for a couple weeks after that to let you know what's going on. So next week, be looking in your bulletin. There'll be a flyer. It'll tell you what life groups are available, and we're excited. We're going to have a, a life group started this year for recovery So if you or, or addiction. If you are a past addict or you going through recovery things right now, this life group is going to be set up for you. Uh, and there's other life groups. If you're not an addict, you don't have issues. Yeah, Darren's raising his hand. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you are part of recovery, you've been an addict in the past, things like that, and you are interested in being a part of that, we need your help with that group because it, 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 as you know, if you're dealing with recovery and addiction, you need a big support group. You need a support group that's going to be around you, going to build you up and encourage you, and you need all kinds of volunteers. So that's coming up over these next couple weeks, all right? I just wanted to let you know what was going on. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, we're wrapping up our Joyride series. Uh, one of the most misquoted, 
or, or misused verses is what we're going to be jumping into uh, today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and we're going to read through the end of the book as we're wrapping it up. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be, what's he say? He said, I've learned to be content. A lot of times we look at it like this, like, man, that person's really content. I wish I could be that, but you know, I'm never going to be that type of person. It's a learned thing. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I played sports, and I love that verse. But a lot of times we use that verse as an idea that I'm going to destroy this other team because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I'm going to do this. And, and what ends up happening is we begin to misuse a scripture that was in context, in the context, used to say, I have learned to be content. And when we take it out of context, we can make the Bible say anything we want to say. So we're, just to point that out to you, because it's one of those things that, look, I love this verse. Matter of fact, if you were to go back to my high school days, I remember having this verse on my batting glove wristband part right here. And I had it written right around. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was right on my wristbands. All right? Or on the wrist part of my, my, my batting gloves. Listen to what he says now. Verse 14. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. You see what he's saying? Paul loves the Philippian church because the Philippian church supported him in the gospel ministry when nobody else would support him. And that's a huge deal because Paul wasn't trusted in church circles for the most part. Why? Because of Paul's past. Paul had persecuted the church. If you remember going back to Philippians chapter 1, he says, hey, look at all these things that I did. Look at what I was able to do. Look at what I accomplished. And Paul says, all of that doesn't matter. And he reminds them, and he says, man, I I appreciate you because you guys supported me. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more, and I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. And listen to what he says about their gifts. They are a fragrant, what? Offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. And all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you with your spirit, amen. And so here's what we're going to do. We are jumping in or, or wrapping up the series on the joyride, and we've looked at what it means to have a desire and, 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 and traits of joy in the midst of some of the toughest situations that Paul faced. And really the reality is that we are called to have the same attitude. We are called to have the same joy, that joy can't be stolen, that joy is oftentimes given away. 
Happiness is a feeling. Joy is learning that that is a fruit of the Spirit, that God gives you that regardless of the circumstance and situation you're in. The Holy Spirit gives you that joy that you can overcome everything. And so the question is to, to, to really ask is this. Most of us, if we're honest, would say we're not content. There's some way, shape, or form in your life something you're not content with. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you're at a point where you said, you know, I, I thought I would be making a lot more money than I did. Or maybe I would have been a little bit wiser with my money and not wasted some things. So maybe you're not content with the finances. Maybe you're not content with your job. Maybe you had dreams and expectations and thought, I'm going to accomplish some great things, but I really don't feel like I'm doing much. Or maybe it's marriage. Maybe at times you're not content with your marriage. Maybe you're looking at something else or someone else and thinking, man, the grass is always greener on the other side. There's a better opportunity. You know, I can, I can easily get out of these things. Maybe there's a relationship thing. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you don't feel like you are where you were supposed to be. And Paul says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstance, I have to learn to be content. See, what you do or what do you do when all of your options are bad? When, when, when there doesn't seem like there's anything that you can do right? What do you do when you aren't going where you want to go financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically? What do you do in those situations? See, when you feel like you've lost all control and all understanding, you begin to honestly look at it and you begin to go, God, where are you? What are you doing? And maybe it just maybe there's something in your life that is kind of saying, God, I, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm, I'm very ready to blame you. I'm not content with the circumstance or situation I'm in. As a matter of fact, this is where a lot of us end up going. We're not content with the situation or circumstance we in, we're in. So what do we do? We cast blame. Anytime you're not content, you cast blame. I mean, all you got to do is look at what happens when you get in trouble. What do you do? I cast blame. Well, you know, that, if that person wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have. It, well, if, if, if they wouldn't have said this, I wouldn't have. If, well, if this person wouldn't have been going so slow, I wouldn't have been going so fast to pass. You know, you, you get the picture, right? We love to cast blame, and what we end up doing oftentimes is we'll cast blame on God. Well, if God really was looking out for me and cared for me, he would have provided a better job, or he would have provided more financially, or he would have taken care of my marriage, or I wouldn't have married this person because if he really loved me, he would have never led me in that direction. And the reality is Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not even a correct attitude. And so at the end of this book, Paul wraps up a book that is filled with challenges and truth with some difficult but yet important truths that we have to begin to understand. And so here's the thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. I don't care if you remember the three points. I think they're major. But if you remember this, I want you to remember anything. It's this. Contentment is a result of realizing I can't do it, but Jesus can do it through me. Being content is realizing that I can't do it, but Jesus can do it through me. It's beginning to understand that everything in my life has a purpose and a meaning and a plan, and you may not 
have lived up to the dreams and the expectations you have for yourself, but maybe, just maybe, you're exactly where God wants you. Maybe God is using the circumstances and situations you're in in your life to get you where you need to be. And what he's saying is, if you'll rest where you're at and be content in me, then there's going to be something down the road that you'll see in the end. Now, this is not an excuse to stay where you're at. This is not an excuse to say, well, you know, spiritually I just haven't gone anywhere, so I'm just going to kind of give up and quit. We never quit. You keep moving forward, living in obedience to what God has called you. But contentment is a result of realizing that I can't do it, but Jesus can do it through me. So here's the question. What's the secret of being content then? What is the secret to being content? You guys remember that? I, and I couldn't, I've been racking my brain. Do you guys remember that commercial? I, I'm going to date myself here. Do you remember the commercial? It was uh, Ancient Chinese Secret. Anybody remember? Calgon. That's what it was. I don't even remember anything, but I just remember Ancient Chinese Secret. It's like, you know, it was a TV commercial. This will show you how bad that was just stupid. Anyways. But there's a secret to contentment, and to a certain extent, it's really not that big of a secret, but oftentimes we let it stay hidden within Scripture because we don't dig into it. So what's the secret of contentment? Number one, I believe, is this, and we're going to see it played out here in Philippians chapter 4. Number one, what's the secret of contentment? To know God's providence is perfect. You guys understand what I mean, providence, right? Providence meaning his timing, that God's plan works out. See, Paul is rejoicing greatly in the church. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. What's he saying there? They renewed it. In other words, in the past they had supported him. They had been concerned for him, but now they've renewed it. And he says, I've been greatly rejoiced that God's provision, that God's provision or providence is perfect. Providence simply means that God sees it beforehand. And God could have provided for Paul long beforehand, but God didn't provide for Paul until this point in time. And so Paul literally lays it out. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. See, Paul was facing great adversity, great struggle, and yet he saw this adversity not as punishment, but as a gift. And let's be honest here. If you were in prison for preaching the gospel... If you were in chains as a result of standing on the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus offered, you may most likely look at it and say, oh, this is punishment. What the heck? a matter of fact, I would even say this. A lot of times when we start talking about persecuted church overseas, our attitude becomes very, oh, Man, I really feel bad for him, but we don't go beyond that. It's almost like, well, that's kind of just bad that they were over in that country and not over here. If they were over here, it wouldn't be so bad. And we almost look at it as it's a punishment, like they're punished for what's going on. And the reality is Paul's saying no. The true fact of the matter is this, and we have to begin to understand this, that when we receive adversity, matter of fact, Andy Stanley says it this way, when we receive adversity as a gift, or we should receive adversity as a gift with a purpose and a promise from God, we should receive all adversity as a gift. Do you get that idea? A gift 
that, that you receive, you take it. So when I face adversity, I receive it as a gift with a purpose and a promise from God. The purpose being that God's going to do something in and through it. His providence is going to work out. And the promise is that he will never leave us or forsake us. He's not going to use something in a bad way. All right? He's going to make the best out of it. Matter of fact, if you'll go back and you'll think through Scripture, it may be something like this. Daniel. Daniel, a, a, a Jewish boy, very smart, very wise, tested. Babylonians come in. They take out the nation of Israel. They take the cream of the crop. They put them to the test. Daniel rises to the top. Daniel spends time in prison. All right, if you remember in prison, he meets a, a baker, right? king's baker or whatever and and he ends up rising up because the baker's like i remember this dude who interpreted my dream and he could tell you your dream and the king brings daniel what what ends up happening daniel rises into a leadership position even after being in prison even after being thrown in the lions then daniel rises to the top so god uses everything that man looks at in a bad situation and says i made it for good let's think of another situation joseph joseph's brothers hated him they couldn't stand him. He was his father's favorite. Joseph talked about all his dreams. Man, look at, look at this dream I had last night that the sheaves are going to be bound down. To, oh, you really think we're going to bow down to you? And what do they do? They sell him off into slavery. And in the midst of slavery, he gets to serve under Potiphar's wife, but then he's thrown into prison, right? He's thrown into prison, and later he comes and he interprets the king's dream again right? He's led up to the second highest position of all authority. He brings in all the grain because they know that a seven-year famine is going to, there's going to be seven years of good produce and then seven years of famine. And, and, and Joshua or Joseph takes it all in and he stores it up and he saves Egypt. And not only does he save Egypt, but he saves his own family. And if you'll remember in that section of scriptures, Genesis chapter 45, it says this, that Joseph says it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And so in the midst of the bad, in the midst of everything that goes on, Joseph says, look, it was for God's providence that he sent me ahead of you. God's plan in the beginning, his providence and timing is perfect. And in Genesis chapter 50, after they get his father back, he says, look, to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And Paul looks at this and he says, look, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why do I rejoice? Because God's providence is perfect. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose now don't misquote that verse when somebody you love dearly or a friend has lost a loved one and go all oh, things work together for good and here's why because right now they're not feeling the good they just need somebody to love them but what i want you to understand is this what's the secret of contentment it's knowing that god's providence is always perfect that god's plan Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That God's providence is perfect. His timing is perfect. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. Life is not a series of accidents. 
It's a series of appointments. And these appointments are a great source of contentment in the life of, of the believer. Don't look at life as an accident. Don't look at life as a problem. Don't look at life as a, 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 an, a nuisance, but rather look at life as an appointment. And those appointments are all to teach you to be content, to learn the life of contentment in your own life. And so what's the secret of contentment? Contentment is realizing that you can't do it, but Jesus can do it through you. God working in and through you can breed a heart of contentment that you can never do on your own. A matter of fact, I would even say it this way. A lot of times we spend a lot of effort chasing financial success, job success, Success in the, lot, the eyes of other people. We spend all of our time working hard to be successful, to see people and have people look at us and go, man, that's what I want to be. I want to be successful like that person. We spend so much time doing that that we don't learn what it means to be content. Matter of fact, you know, I thought about this recently with all the deaths Recently, the suicides, for those of you who are older, you're not going to know, but the, like the lead singer of Soundgarden and then uh, who, what was the other one? Uh, Lincoln Park, the lead singer of Lincoln Park. All right? Those guys got everything based upon worldly ideas, worldly thoughts. They got money. They got fame. They got prestige. They got a job they love. I mean, who wouldn't want to? I mean, if you would pay me money to play baseball, that would, I mean, you could pay me, you could pay me what I'm getting paid here at church. I guarantee you I'd be taking money to play baseball. I'd be like, I get to play baseball for, for money? I'll, I'll do that. But by worldly standards, those guys had everything that the world says is what you need to be successful. And yet they weren't content. How do I know they weren't content? Because they committed suicide. Contentment does not come from what the world says matters. Contentment comes from what God is doing in your heart. And so Paul literally lays this out. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had had no opportunity to show it. And I can guarantee you that Paul would look at it and say, you had no opportunity. Why? Because the Lord hadn't provided the opportunity. Because if you know anything about Paul, Paul is consistent where he's like, I want to come there. I'm going to come visit you. But guess what? The Spirit hasn't allowed me to go yet. Paul was big on God's provision. And in God's timing and God's provision, Paul knew that his perfect timing, his perfect provision would lead him in the direction of the deal. So what's the secret of contentment? No, God's providence is perfect. Number two, what's the secret of contentment? See, God's power is perfect. Listen to what he says in verse 11 and following. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in want. I can do everything through who, who through him who gives me strength. So he's saying, I have learned the secret, the old Calgon thing, the ancient Chinese secret, or the ancient Christian secret is this. I have learned that contentment comes through Christ and Christ alone. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is I can be content with what I have because Jesus gives me everything I need. So you may look at yourself and say, man, I failed financially. I have failed on the job aspect. I have failed on situations and decisions I made in my life. And what Paul says is, you have to learn to be content whatever the circumstances are 
because God is at work in you and through you. Now, here's the big picture. When you are caught in sin, when you are trapped by the very sin nature with which you have, you don't remain content with your sin nature. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul says, I have learned to be content because Jesus is at work in me. I have put my faith and trust in Christ first and foremost, and as a result, because of Christ, I receive the Spirit, and the Spirit is changing me. So I don't stay content with what's going on inwardly. I learn to be content with the circumstances that surround me. Does that make sense? I'm not content with what's going on inwardly. I learn to be content with the circumstances that surround me. God's power is perfect, and that's literally what he's getting out. See, Paul's not complaining about what's taking place. He's not complaining about not having enough. Paul's not going, well, you know, I was poor, so I'm complaining. I'm going to let God kind of, you know, like maybe sometimes you do that. Maybe I do that. Is that we're like, you know what, God? You're going to have to put up or shut up. Time for you to show yourself. You know what I mean? And I would think in some way, shape, or form, everybody has put themselves in that situation. But Paul is not complaining, but he's explaining that he found the source of joy is not in what he was able to make financially, what he was looked at from the outside, but what he accomplished in his standing in Christ. See, all of those things can breed discontentment. And Paul says, look, that's not what brings contentment. Contentment comes in my standing in Christ. And so he learned the secret that so many people are looking for. And so Paul is telling us that contentment is not found in things, but in an individual. And the beauty of this section of scripture is he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And you have to understand this. What Paul is saying is that you can have contentment in every circumstance and in every situation that you come into in life. Not because you're just buckle up or pull up your bootstraps and get tough, but because you can get through it in Christ because of Christ and what he has done in your life. And so it's understanding or it's knowing and it's experiencing the power of God at work in you. That his power is perfect. And the beauty of this thing is this. That contentment is a result of what God is doing in your heart. And the power that's at work in your heart is the same power that was at work in the lives of the disciples back in Acts chapter 1, back in Acts chapter 2, all the way through the book of Acts. It's the same power that God said he would give to us through the sending of the Spirit. It's the same power that Jesus said, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and now I'm giving it to you to go and make disciples. God's power is perfect in each and every circumstance and situation you're in. And let's just cut to the chase of it. Whether it's an addiction, pornography, chemical addiction, all of those things, I mean, financial problems, marital problems, sin issues, all of those things are bred by being discontent. We're not happy with who we are. 
We're not happy with the situations we're in. We're not happy with the decisions we made. We're not happy with those things. All of those things are a result of sin in your life. And that sin breeds discontentment. But Jesus breeds contentment. Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings promise. Jesus brings power. Jesus' providence is perfect. All of those things got to be played out. So contentment is a result of what is going on in my heart as I grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I am complete. I am whole. I am of value. I'm of worth. I'll even say this. You know, if you're a person who struggles with suicide and depression and things like that, one of the biggest things is you're discontent. You think you haven't lived up to expectations of other people. And what I want you to see is this, that God says everybody, regardless of every circumstance and situation you've been, regardless of how you were raised, you are of value. You have immense value, unmeasurable value. You are loved, you are cared for. Even if you feel like people have abandoned you and left you, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so that is a result of being discontent. And what Jesus wants you to experience is contentment in him. That where you are, you don't have to stay. He can take you where he wants to lead you. Why? Because his providence, his providence is perfect. His power is perfect. And then number three, how do I experience, or what's the secret of contentment? Number three, the secret of contentment is to experience God's promise in his provision. God's promise in his provision Maybe, maybe the provision isn't what you expected, but maybe it's exactly what you needed. Maybe it's not what you expected, but it's exactly what you needed. And if we're going to acknowledge God's providence, in other words, his timing and, and everything, his overarching power, his ability to see beforehand, if we're going to acknowledge and say that we know God's providence is perfect, then we have to understand that if God's providence is perfect, then God's promise is he'll provide. God's promise is his provision. He will take care of everything that takes place. Everything. See, when we give to support the mission of others, when we take care of those who are in chains of the gospel, when we give to support the missions of the church, you're taking part in an act of worship. You are experiencing God's promise and his provision. Because listen to what he says in verse 14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. What Paul is saying is that God's promise in the provision, Paul was going to go out and do missions regardless. Paul was going to go out and take the gospel around the world regardless of who supported him. But what God is also, or what Paul is also saying is, look, God's promise in his provision was that he met my needs. But here's the beauty of it. He met Paul's needs through the church at Philippi. But listen to what he says in verse 18. I have received full payment and even, what's he say? Even more. He didn't just provide just enough to get by. What's he say? I received full payment and even more. He received an abundance. 
because of the faithfulness of a few in the church at Philippi to support his mission. And I want to challenge you, church, that that is the very role that takes place within the church today, is that we provide for those who are taking the gospel out. We begin to take the gospel out on our own. And I'll even say this to that extent, is that as we do this, God provides even more. But listen to what he says. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. And listen to what he says. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. When we give as a church, when we give as individuals, like we support even World Vision, above and beyond our tithe of the church, we support the World Vision child. That's an opportunity to be a part of giving to God and doing something great in a great way. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the, the kid we've been supporting, we started supporting, uh, what, 2003? And he's a senior this year, right? Or 18. He's 18. Sorry. I don't know if they do senior stuff in Africa, but he's 18. All right? I don't know what he's going to do, what he's going to become, but we look at it as an investment in the kingdom. We know that he's heard the gospel. We know that he's grown up in, in, a, in a family, in a relationship where he can have the best benefits to move forward but here's the beauty of it verse 19 as a result it says that they are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to god and listen to what paul says and my god will meet all your what according to his glorious riches in christ jesus in the midst of them giving sacrificially get this in the midst of them giving sacrificially to support Paul's ministry, to, to take care of Paul when nobody else would, guess what Paul says? Guess what the promise of God is? That not only will he meet Paul's needs like he did in even more, but he would meet their needs even more. According to the glorious riches there in Christ Jesus. So the beautiful thing about the joyride aspect of what we talked about is this, that we get to experience God's promise and his provision, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. See, Paul's trust was in the Lord first and foremost. And he says, you met my need and God is going to meet your need. You met one need I have and God is going to meet all of your needs. You get that picture? They met one need for Paul, but yet God is going to meet all of their needs. And that is how the Bible plays out. That is what God promises. As a matter of fact, there's a quote that I found this week by a guy named Hudson Taylor who said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. Being content comes from realizing that I can't do it, but Jesus can do it through me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is the idea that I have learned to be content in Jesus no matter the circumstance or situation I'm in. Not just from a finance standpoint, but from everything that you are going through in life. I have learned to be content regardless of the circumstances I face. And I'll be honest with you, contentment is something that really is not an American term. But I would also say this, that I really don't think it's a worldly term. Regardless of what nationality, regardless of what country you grew up in, regardless of where you even live in the world, contentment 
is not natural. Contentment is supernatural. To be content in life is a supernatural occurrence of something in your heart. And the only way, and I would challenge you with this, the only way to be content is to be content in Jesus first. And you can't be content in Jesus first if you don't have a relationship with Jesus first. When Jesus went to the cross, he was content with the circumstances that he was dealt, that he chose to follow out of obedience to what the Father had already called him to do. He was content. Right? I mean, there's even a point where he says, Father, if, if there's any other way, but not my way, but yours. He's acknowledging a contentment. He was satisfied with the hand that was dealt to him with what God wanted him to do as a result of what mankind had already done. Jesus is the ultimate example of being content. But listen, here's the beauty of it. He was content in dying on the cross, but he's not content in staying dead. He was discontent with staying there. The only thing that was going to be acceptable to him was to rise again. The only thing was to defeat sin and defeat death because that was the ultimate enemy. Not the financial situation, not the marriage situation, not my job situation. The ultimate enemy was death. Sin and death was overcome by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And the beauty of that is this, that Jesus was content with going to the cross. He was discontent until he rose and he's content with what God has already called him to do. He sent us the spirit and he wants you to experience a content life. But the only way you can experience a content life is with Christ first and foremost. So what's the secret to true contentment? We can talk about God's provision. We can understand God's power. We can experience God's promise. But the true secret to contentment is knowing Christ first and foremost. That he is number one in your heart. That everything is a slave to Jesus first. That's the true secret of contentment. That's the true joy that you will experience. When we talk about a joy ride and you hear of all that Paul talks about and he lays out that Jesus was the son of God but yet he humbled himself and became uh, obedient to death, even death on the cross. He took the very nature of a servant and when we start to think about this, being content comes from knowing the true source of contentment. And so Paul lays out this joyride series and he talks about all the difficulties, all the struggles, all the, all the pain, all the heartache. And yet he wraps up this book with being content. And here's just really the way I want to say, wrap it up. Being content comes from realizing that I can't do it, but Jesus can do it through me. The providence of God, the power of God, and the promises of God all lead us to contentment. And I just could say this. Maybe if you remember anything, you remember this, that God's got this. He's not thrown off by the circumstances you're in. He's not confused going, oh, what should I do next? He's not worried about tomorrow, so why should you be worried about tomorrow? He's got it. The question is, do you believe him? Do you trust him? Is he number one in your life? Is he the first and foremost thing that you think about? Contentment only comes in Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Father, we know that there are so many things in our lives that we can become distraught over, we can worry about, we can become discontent over. And God, maybe we feel like we have failed. We haven't lived up to the expectations we had of ourselves. Maybe we haven't lived up to the expectations our parents had of us. Maybe we, we struggle with where we're at financially. We struggle where we're at spiritually. We struggle where we're at even in a job situation. But God, I pray that we would begin to understand that true contentment comes not in the circumstances that are up against us, the circumstances and struggles we face, but true contentment comes in Christ and Christ alone. And so God, may we be people who live that out. May we as a church be content with the circumstances and situations you place us in. May we not compare to others or even other churches, but may we be obedient to what you've called us to do. May we follow you because we know that obedience is our success. That regardless of what goes on, when we are obedient to you, we will be successful. And so just where you're at, if you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, I want you to understand there's something very simple that you can do. That Jesus' death on the cross offers you life and life more abundantly. And right where you're at, you can acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You confess to him your sins. Say, God, I am a sinner. I am broken. I am unclean. And I know the only way to be made right, the only way to come to life, that those ruins come to life, is through Christ. And I put my faith and trust that Jesus died on the cross, shedding blood for my sins, washing them away so I could be white as snow. And I believe that. And I believe that Jesus rose again. And in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. If that's you today, just as we stand and sing. I'm going to be up here at the front and even afterwards, I'm going to be at the back afterwards. If you have done that and you want to put or you want to let somebody know, we want you to let us know that you put your faith and trust in Christ. So we're going to stand and sing. And as we stand and sing, just let God move your heart. Let the Spirit do the work. Father, we thank you that we can be content and find contentment In your son, Jesus Christ, amen.